you would this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 2. We are working through this amazing Gospel as our new series for this year that we may know the exact truth concerning the things of Christ. As you're turning to Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 will be our text for this morning to share with you. Billy Sunday, the evangelist, once said, there is nothing in the world of art like the songs of a mother or the songs a mother used to sing. Now for some, that is a great treasure and a great memory that people have. Their mother may be singing there at the house, singing them to bed or singing family worship or whatever it may be. This is a truth that is very real in our home because uh, Melanie, uh, being not only that she is a singer, but a love for songs and her mother as well, uh, our songs, our, how, our home has been filled with many songs. And so she has made songs, she has made up songs for each kid that she would sing to them. Uh, she, leads, she, she, she leads that song portion in the family worship at night. And also there's this other unique thing that she does and that her mom does, and so I guess I have her to thank for this, that no matter what I say, they can somehow turn it into a song. (laughs) Being that it's Mother's Day, I will say that it's a great blessing. But it is amazing how I can be talking and sharing and saying something, and then Melanie, and, and here's the beauty of this, the children has now been passed down to them. That I can be just saying anything and they break out into song. And they're not all spiritual, by the way. (laughs) It's not as though the Holy Spirit came upon them in my conversation or discipline and they just broke out into song. But our house is full of songs and these are things that uh, that I love about my wife and my children and things that I appreciate and I know that many of you do as well. The songs of a mother. This morning we come to not the song of a mother. We looked at that back in chapter 1 with Mary's Magnificat. But today we come to the fourth song of five. In Luke's Gospel, chapters 1 and 2, there are, there are five songs that Luke gives us. And these are a response to the joy that overwhelms the individual. In the, in the proclamation of Jesus, the birth of Christ, they're overwhelmed, they break out into song. And so we, we have seen the song of Elizabeth, that when Mary came into the, into the home of Elizabeth and, and Christ, she had already been conceived, or Christ was already conceived in her womb, that she breaks out into song. Mary sings a beautiful song, Zacharias sings one on the salvation of his people. And so now we come to a song that is not sung by humans. It's not sung by a mother. It's not sung by a father or a priest. This song is sung by the angels. On this night, a host of angels would gather there under the darkness of the sky in the shepherd's field, and they would break forth into song, a song that has been entitled The Glory to God, as we see the glory of God in the highest. I've entitled this morning's sermon, the song of glory or maybe the song of angels 
An angel has just announced the good news of Christ. The shepherds were startled by this. He appears and he begins to tell them of the Savior who has just been born. And throughout Luke's gospel, we will see the, the response not only to the birth of Christ, but to the, to the miracles and the teachings, and then even eventually to his death and resurrection. We will see humanity's response to him. But here in this moment, here in this field under a starry sky, it is not the response of, of men or women. It is the response of heaven. And what we discover is, is that the greatest news, brothers and sisters, the great news of the gospel deserves the greatest response. It deserves the greatest praise, not only on earth, but even in heaven and earth. And so there are three things that I want you to see within these two verses concerning the, the doxology of these angels. I want you to see the gathering of the angels. I want you to see then the, the glory of God in the song. And I want you to see the gift of peace. So we're going to see the gathering, the glory, and then we're going to see the gift of peace. And in, let's begin here in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. The angel says to the shepherds, he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. If you would, take notice of the gathering of the angels. We read this, and, and it's really amazing that as we read, we see the we kind of just see Luke. You can almost imagine Luke, if you remember, if you if you remember from the beginning, that Luke is not just a doctor. He's not just a follower of Christ. Luke is a historian. And so one can imagine that Luke is writing this and he's giving us these details. Notice suddenly, the, the word just portrays this unexpected surprise that, that, that just happened so quick and so sudden and, and, and surprised the shepherds. So one can imagine that, that Luke has somehow tracked down these shepherds. Or maybe Luke has tracked down maybe the children of these shepherds. Maybe it is like a mother who sings a song or a father who tells his children of, of the stories of his life. And so whether it's the shepherds or whether it was family members or so, you can imagine that Luke has maybe has tracked them down and they are reliving the story on that black, dark night in the field when an angel appeared and then suddenly a host of angels. And so he, the historian, is now portraying or giving us the, the story with these wonderful details. But that word suddenly indicates, indicates great surprise. You see, brothers and sisters, an angel was unexpected. An angel had not come in such a long time. We, we see with Zechariah and Joseph and Mary. But before that, we haven't seen the presence of angels in over 400 years. The Word of God, I'll, I'll mention this later, about the glory of God had departed Israel. And, but now you have an angel standing before you. And that was very unexpected. But now the unthinkable happens. The Bible tells us that there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Well, you know that as soon as you read that, that the deep theological mind that you and I both have, we ask the deep theological question. Well, how many were there? Right? I, I know, maybe not as deep theological as you thought, but we all want to know. How many were there? 
Now, I'm obvious, that it's, it's probably obvious and, and, you know, correct to say the shepherds didn't stop to start counting the, the angels. But for those of us like me who kind of ha- want to have a picture of what this is, Luke gives us that. The, the word multitude means a great gathering, and the word host, heavenly host, describes or can be translated into an army. And so you begin to think of this wording that Luke gives us, that what has appeared in this shepherd's field is a great gathering like a great army that marches across the land. This is not a small gathering. This is a rather large, too, too many to count. I love what Ken Hughes says, who, who wishes in his commentary, he says he wishes to believe that all of heaven All of the angels in that moment came to earth to join the heavenly choir to sing of the good news of Jesus Christ. When one talks about heavenly hosts and the army, it it has also been used at times to describe the the host of stars, the the army of stars. You can imagine looking up on a dark, starry night and trying to count and losing count over and over and over again. The truth is we will never know how many angels sang under that starry night But there is no doubt that what was seen was a glorious sight. But dear beloved, it was not only a glorious sight, it was also a glorious sound. For the angels began to sing the praises of God. Where one angel, as we looked at last week, was sufficient in declaring and bringing the good news of a Savior, we now find that one angel is not sufficient to give God praise for the good news. A multitude of angels must now gather to lift up God's name. And not just lift it up, but lift it up to the highest. Their actions are not surprising. We read in Job chapter 38 verse 7 that the angels sang at creation. We see in Isaiah chapter 6 there in the vision of Isaiah, Isaiah the angels singing holy, holy, holy. And we also know that from the scriptures that the angels are singing now to our God and King But now they are not singing in heaven. They are not singing in a vision in the temple. They are on earth. A heavenly choir has left heaven and come to earth to sing of the glory of God in the highest. Now this is very interesting. You say, why is this interesting? Well, you need to know that in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision as well. And he has a vision of the temple. He has a vision of Israel and Jerusalem. And what he envisions and what he sees is that the glory of God leaves the temple and leaves Israel because of Israel's great sin. God leaves. His presence is pulled out of the temple. And so for 400 years, we have not had a voice from the Lord, a word from God. He has, not, he has not been present with his people. And so here we find that the glory of God shone around the angel. And now the angels are singing of the glory of God that has come to earth. Why are they singing? Because the glory that had left had now returned. But it was returning in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Dear friends, may I... May, may I just stop and pause for a moment in this and, and suggest to you this morning the importance of gathering for the praise of God. May, may I stop this morning and, and share with you and, and plead with you the importance for, for us as believers who are here on earth 
that we would that we would consistently gather as the angels have gathered, as they have always done, gathering together to sing of the glory of our God and King. You see, like the angels, when we, the church, when we gather to establish uh, a time of worship like we have, we too have established an outpost. We too are like an army. Think about that for just a moment. We, we could probably count everyone in here. You could probably call every pastor within the parish. And you can count and ask, how many people did you have in your service? And we can say, well, by the, by the time we got all of that, we can say that in the town of Jonesboro, in the town and in the parish of Jackson Parish, we, we had this many people in worship. And we would probably go, that's a pretty good number. But brothers and sisters, think about this for just a moment. That around the world today, in this very moment, or even, or maybe an hour before, or, or later on today, around the world, people are, are gathering to do the very thing that we have done. And it would be too innumerable to count. Yes, this is a great sight. A, a host of angels in the, in the shepherd's field and you, and you can't count them. But brothers and sisters, can we just stop for a moment and rejoice in the fact that every Sunday, an army, a host of re- redeemed sinners gather around the world to sing glory and praises to God our King. That is too a glorious sight. And one day we will see it Because we will one day be gathered in the same place. Our voices will be joined and we will sing to the Lord. Dear saints, I submit to you this morning the good news of the gospel merits the gathering of the saints. If the angels gather to praise God in a field, should we, the forgiven sinners, should we... The, the redeemed of the Lord not gather to sing of the praises and the saving work of Jesus Christ? I told you last week that if an angel who has not known sin and forgiveness and salvation would have the joy of proclaiming the good news, dear friends, should, should we also think about this? If the angels have not known salvation and forgiveness, Should we allow them to be the only ones to gather when we ourselves know of the saving grace of God? Oh, we are more than qualified. We we have a greater honor and a greater privilege of singing of the saving power of God than even the angels because we were sinners and God sent His Son to save us. If this is our testimony... This morning, if this is your testimony this morning, then every one of us should consistently seek to gather weekly. We should consistently seek to gather and sing the praises of God with other believers. It is said that Mother's Day is one of the highest uh, church-attended Sundays, third under Easter and Christmas. And Tom Rainer, in, in one of his surveys that he does he he answers this by saying that the reason for this is is because mothers not only desire togetherness with their family but they know the importance of togetherness with their family 
And this is very true in my own mother and my, and, and my mother-in-law and grandmothers and even with my wife. Is the deal is that, that if we can't all gather, then something is missing, right? If, if one of the children cannot be there, then so, it's, it's not the same. I mean, it's good, but it's even better when we all can gather around that table. We can all come together. And so this is the beauty of mothers who, who see the importance of being together in worship. We praise God for godly mothers, godly women who encourage the ladies. Uh, let me encourage the ladies this morning in this very room that you continue to keep that up weekly. You are a blessing, ladies, in the fact that you pray for and you encourage your family and your loved ones to be here, to gather with you together in the worship service that God may be lifted up. And so I encourage all of our mothers and grandmothers, all of our wives, all of our ladies to continue on with this. For this is a blessing not only to you and to your family, but this is a blessing to the church. But I must also challenge all of us this morning on a few things. If the gospel merits the gathering of the saints, then dear friends, we must rid ourselves of individualized Christianity. No amens on that, huh? Think about that for a moment. We don't amen that because we like that. We love the, it's between me and God answer. I I don't have to answer to these people. I don't have to answer to you. This is between me and God. Dear friends, that is not what the Bible speaks of. We are a faith family. And we gather together that we may be joined together, not only to do life, but even joined together all the way down to, I am not commanded to just sing songs by myself. And for that, amen, amen, and amen. Because I can't, I'm not the greatest singer. There is a joy for me to gather with you. If my Christianity is so individualized that my worship and my singing is just with me, can you imagine how anticlimactic that would be? No, dear friend, I am not only, I am not only commanded in Scripture to join with you in life, to join with you in discipleship, to join with you in evangelism and missions and all of these things. I am commanded by God to gather with you even down to the point that we pray together and we sing together. We lift our voices. We must rid ourselves of individualized Christianity. The idea that it's just me and me alone, me and God alone. We must also practice the gathering of the saints. If you're not used to this, we must understand that the gathering of the faith family is more important than even gathering as a physical family. The gathering of the faith family to come and to worship, dear, dear brothers and sisters, is that we are gathering not because we have physical blood in common. We are gathering because we have a spiritual denominator, common denominator, that we were both in the trenches, that we were all in the trenches, and God has saved us by His kindness and His love. We saw that in the Sunday school lesson this morning. So when we gather for worship, and when we gather for Sunday school, when we gather for Sunday nights, and we gather for Wednesday nights, all of these things are important. Because the gathering of the saints is an expression of the good news of the gospel. And if the gospel is truly good news then I will seek to gather with those that I have the most in common with and love for. And not just on Sunday mornings, but 
But Sunday school and, and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and for fish fries and for hospitality nights at people's homes. The gathering of the saints, brothers and sisters, is so important. And I would even encourage you this morning that you would gather more often and that if you do gather more often, you will grow in your faith. Those who gather for more than just worship, such as Sunday school and other things, those who truly consistently gather become better leaders. They become better deacons. They become better teachers. They become better servants. By the way, they become better mothers and better sisters and better daughters. And and they become better fathers and better sons and better uncles and, and better grandparents. Because when we gather, there is something taking place here. The word of God is being preached. The glory of God is being lifted up and it does something to us. So be encouraged this morning that the more that you gather the more that you will grow in the faith. Dear, dear brother and sister, hear me this morning. Do not allow the angels to have the only honor and privilege of gathering to lift the name of God as high as we can lift it. We who have been saved by the grace of God have been given a great privilege and a great honor And I truly believe that because that we know sin and we know forgiveness, our voices, our song can sound even greater. Because we know from the experience of God's salvation. The gospel merits the gathering of the saints. But notice thirdly, I mean secondly, the glory of God. For when they gather, notice that they said, or they sang, glory to God in the highest heaven. Now understand, this is a declaration that God deserves the highest possible honor and praise. That God deserves the highest possible honor and praise. That He alone deserves this praise and, and we can't reach any higher for what is happening. All this is in response to the, uh, the birth of Christ. Now, th- this word glory in the Greek means doxa. It means a right opinion or view of something or someone. It, it, it means that, that, that you're, you're getting to visualize and hear and see the right understanding of the person. And so if someone gets up and they sing a beautiful song and you're just, wow, that was great. You, you, you just heard a, a, a right understanding of their voice and how good it was. Now, I'm not the biggest fan on, on this individual always, but, but I thought his definition of this was really good. But Charles Ryrie, he, he defines it this way. He, he says the glory of God is the manifestation or maybe demonstration of any or all of God's attributes, displaying God to the world. Thus, things which glorify God are things which show the characteristics of his being to the world. So when we talk about the glory of God, we are talking about God's attributes and God's nature and the goodness of God, those things that we love about God being demonstrated and manifested before us that we are, we are getting to see it. We're getting to understand it. Doxa means that it, it, it can refer to the brightness of the star or the, or, the, or the sun or the brightness of stars because we see it even with the radiance of God. And so an example would be the Mount of Transfiguration where, where Jesus goes up and, and, and his flesh is pulled back that his glory may be shown and, they, and, and they're blinded by the light, the radiance of God. They're getting a true understanding that, that, that there is more to this man 
He's not just a human. He is, he is divine. He is God himself. He is light. Remember, John tells us that he is the light of the world. And here, so Jesus pulls back, and now that is manifested to us physically and literally the radiance of God. Psalms, one, uh, Psalms 19, 1, the heavens are telling the glory of God. That when you go and you look up to the sun and it, it burns your eyes, that you, you're getting a right opinion that that's a bright star up there. That's a, that's a bright sun. When you go out at night and you again look to the stars and you go, how beautiful the sky is. You're, you're seeing, it's manifesting to you how great it is. But, but all of this is telling you that that was created by some, someone. And if, if it is as bright and beautiful as, as what I'm beholding, then how great is the one who created it. Dear friends, when we talk about the glory of God, we are... We are talking about the fact that God is revealing and manifesting all of these things of himself to us. And we are receiving a deeper, truthful opinion of him. J.C. Ryle said it this way. He said, now is the birth. He says, now has come the highest degree of glory to God by the appearing of his son, Jesus Christ, in the world. He, by his life and his death on the cross, will glorify God's attributes his justice, his holiness, his mercy, his wisdom, as they were never glorified before. He said creation glorified God. So much, by the way, the angels sang at creation. But J.C. Ryle says creation glorified God, but not so much as the redemption of mankind. You want to see the true love of God? You want to see the true kindness of God, the true mercy of God. You want to see the true wisdom of God. You want to see the wrath of God. You want to see the justice of God, dear friend. We look no far. We, we can see it all in Jesus Christ and the redemption of sinners. And so the angels are singing praise to God for the glory that they are witnessing. And you can't, you can't miss this. They have been with him a lot longer than we have been with him, and they have seen things that we have not seen yet. They have witnessed the the riches and the majesty. They have witnessed the radiance and the holiness. They they have witnessed the the love and the the wrath of God. They've witnessed all of these things as they serve him and as they sing to him in his very presence. But now they are witnessing things they have only heard about. They heard of the prophecies as God gave them to Abraham and Moses and David and others. And now they are getting to behold all of this coming together in the birth of Jesus Christ as the Son of God empties himself from heaven and takes on the flesh of man. And they sing. They are witnessing the salvation of mankind through Jesus Christ as the greatest and the highest display of God's glory. And remember, they've already seen these other things. So what is their response but to sing louder? To sing higher? To lift, to try and lift the God who can be lifted even higher praise and, and make more of Him. He, they, are, they are singing to Him. They say, to the highest of heaven, we sing of the glory of God. To the highest possible point there is. Why? Because the glory of God has become man. 
Dear friends, these angels are demonstrating a very important doctrinal truth for us Christians. God who is above all things and God who is greater than all things and higher than all things deserves your highest passion. He deserves your highest praise in your life. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? This is the very first thing we ask our kids when we, when we start through the catechisms in family worship. Is, is why did God create you? What is your purpose here on this earth? Why are you here? And the answer is so simple yet so profound. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How amazing is that? You were created to, to make much of God. And in the process of making much of Him, you receive the greatest enjoyment forever for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. And so dear friends, I cannot help but ask you this morning, will you leave this command? Will you leave this passion and this priority to the angels alone? Will you leave this purpose by which you were created to do to the angels? Or will you become, or will this become your priority and passion in life? That in everything that you do, in everything that you are, in everything that you are involved in, at the very core of it, you are asking yourself, how may God be glorified in this? How may I glorify God in this? Will you glorify Him with your words? Will you give a right opinion of the glory of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God by the words that you speak, dear friends? That every word that protrudes from your mouth has been, has been thought about. It's chosen carefully that though the word may come out of my mouth, God may receive glory and honor from what I have just said. And in doing so, I am not only giving honor to him, but I am giving right opinion to those around me of the greatness of the God that I serve. What about your thoughts this morning? Or the very thoughts that come through your head, the very things that you meditate on, the very things that you think about, are, are, they, are, are they there? Do you meditate on these things with the idea that God may be glorified even in my thoughts, even in my mind? Or your actions? Whether your actions at home, your actions at work, your, acts, your, your actions in your, in your finances, in your business dealings, your actions in whatever part of life. You can't compartmentalize all of this. You were created to bring glory to God in all of these areas. Or how about your commitments? Do the things that you are committed to testify to the glory of God? Do they testify of your purpose in life and your passion for God? Does God hold the greatest passion and place in your life? The highest place in my life He holds. Over money? Over sports? And hobbies? Even over your health? Or people? Family? Friends? entertainment we can make the list can go on dear friends what you are committed to most 
declares what is highest in your life. And if it is not God, then you are glorifying something else. And dear friends, that's called idolatry. Money, sports, hobby, health, people, entertainment, and list goes on. If you are more committed to those things, then they hold the highest place in your life, and therefore that makes you an idolater. Oh, dear friends, we must not allow the angels to be the only ones who glorify God to the highest of the heavens. Beloved, similar to the angels, I pray that the glorification of God would become your highest desire in this life. And maybe you're saying this morning, well, Brother Brian, how does that even happen? Oh, dear friend, I would tell you that you must cry out to him. You must cry out to him. You must pray and ask of him that this would become, that this would become reality in your life that it would become real in your life but i would even suggest not only through prayer that you read the scriptures you study the scriptures daily and consistently and allow them to begin to change your mind but change your heart and begin to give you a new passion as mentioned earlier i i pray that you would gather with the saints that you would come in this play how can we say that we are glorifying god with our life if we consistently will not gather with the saints Because we consistently gather with people to do other things and we consistently gather to other commitments. How can we say that God is most glorified in us if we are not gathering? So gather with the Christians in worship. And I would even encourage you this morning that if you have within you the desire that you would become an individual who would make much of God, who would, who would, that God would be the highest, hold the highest position in your life, that you would say, I need help in this. Find another brother or sister to mentor you because there are men, there are women, there are mothers, there are, there are fathers, there are husbands and wives who are, who this is their priority. This is their passion. Everything about them is to bring glory and honor to God and let them walk with you and let them mentor you and pour this into you. And I would offer to you two resources this morning. I will tell you that that these two books were two, they're very easy to read, but they were super huge in my life in sanctification in this very area. And one is uh, Made for His Pleasure by Alistair Begg. You get, Alistair is phenomenal, phenomenal. And then also by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. Dear friends, there is no excuse for us to not bring honor and glory to God. But if this is not your highest passion, then I would plead with you this morning that you would ask yourself why. For if the angels can only watch the redemption of mankind, yet they passionately seek to glorify God, then why do we, professing Christians, people who profess to have been saved and redeemed and forgiven, not seek to make much of God, not seek to put Him as high as we possibly can? There's a problem. Examine yourself today. And then thirdly, I want you to notice the gift of peace. Notice that the angel saying, On earth, peace to those whom His favor rests. This mention of peace is interesting because as we've already seen that this whole story started out in verse 1 with in the days of Caesar Augustus. You say, why is this important? Well, Caesar Augustus brought about a 200-year somewhat civilized peace called the Pax Romana. It was a time where the Roman Empire had a somewhat of a peace for over 200 years. 
And it was Caesar who brought this about, Caesar Augustus. And so when we speak of peace, this is normally what we think of, peace in the nation, peace in the community, peace in the family, peace individually, emotionally, mentally. We, we, we think of this kind of civilized peace in our life, and this is really what we want. We want peace at work. We want peace in our finances. But dear friend, this is not at all what the angels are singing about. If they were singing about a civilized, worldly peace, why are they just now singing when Caesar Augustus has already brought peace? He's already established a worldly peace. No, no, no. He, this is something else. The true peace is not the absence of war and the absence of strife. It is the presence of God. Remember, the glory of God had left Israel. It had left the temple. But now the glory of God has come down. It has come down from heaven to earth, and with it it has brought peace. Peace found in only the Prince of Peace. Found in Emmanuel, God with us, not God takes away my troubles. The true peace that we can have, dear friends, is peace that is found in Christ, God, with us. And so this Greek wording of peace, it literally pictures the binding or the joining of something that has been broken. If you have a a picture or a painting that has been ripped and you you put it back together and you bind it, you have a a piece of cloth, a shirt that's ripped, you bind it. That's what this is. It's a picture of that. Well, what has been ripped, what has been divided that now needs to be bound together? The answer is, is us. Is that when Adam sinned against God, the peace of God, you remember every day of creation we heard, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he said what? It is very good. That word means harmony. It means peace. That when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created us, that on this earth there was peace with us and God. We were, Adam walked with God. There was peace with us and creation. There there was no problems. There was no sickness. There was no viruses. There was no hurricanes and tornadoes or anything like that. There was peace in creation. But there was also peace with us between man and woman. Families had peace. There was no divorce. There was no abuse. There There was no tension there. Because why? Because when God created us and He created the earth, everything was at peace and everything was good. But when Adam sinned, it was as though it was ripped to shreds. And there has never been peace since then. We've never known peace. How can we who, who have never known peace, how can this kind of peace be put back together? I can't do it. You can't do it. We've all tried. And we've all failed. And we've all have found ourselves always wanting the same thing over and over again. I just want peace. I just want to be at peace. So what is the answer? The problem is sin. It was Adam's sin and it's your sin. What's the answer? They're singing about it. They're singing about Him. The glory of God came down from heaven and He's placed in a manger. And in the moment that He is placed in the manger, the manger becomes the holy of holies. The most glorious place on earth. And it was from there, from that baby, from that child, from Christ, That we would know true and utter peace. Why? Because this child would grow up and never sin. 
And one day he would go and lay his life down on the cross for our sins. In our place. That we may be saved and forgiven and find true and utter peace. But notice who receives the peace. For he says, and on earth peace among men with whom he, who he is pleased. Notice that this peace is not given to all of mankind. It, it's not something that, nor is it something that is given that, or, or something that is earned by the deeds of men. For it does not say to all men who please God. No, this peace comes by grace alone. It comes to, to those on whom God favors. It comes to those who receive God's favor. You say, well, Brother Brian, who are those who receive the favor of God? Dear friends, it is only the believers. It is only the one who is a sinner who exercises faith in this Jesus Christ. It is only the one who is called out of their sin, who believes upon Christ as the Savior and and the King of this world. And they turn from their sins, they run from their sins, and they turn to God. I ask you this morning, are you looking for peace in this world? Are you looking for peace in your life? Do you know this peace? The perfect peace between a holy God and sinful man. A peace that you cannot earn. A peace that you cannot achieve. A peace that is only purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, He offers this peace to you freely. You need not earn it. You need not try to bargain for it. You have nothing to bargain. You need not try to find a way to earn it. To buy it. Dear friend, you simply need to come this morning and submit to Jesus Christ. Believing that Christ is the Savior and turning from your sins. Turn from your sins into this God that you may be saved and forgiven and that you may know true and utter peace. If you are under the conviction of your sinful nature this morning, Or maybe this morning you're in despair because you do not know peace. You don't have peace in this world, but you don't have peace between you and God. Then hear me this morning. You must come to Jesus Christ today. You come to this Jesus who the angels sing about. That when he came from heaven, he brought saving peace. Call upon the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Turn from your sins and believe upon Christ as the Lord and Savior Dear friends, this is something that we would love to help you with. If this is you this morning, dear friend, please, I would again call out to him, beg for forgiveness. Find a trusted Christian brother or sister this morning. Brother Trey, I would love to help you. And dear friend, begin to gather with the saints. Begin to learn and be discipled and begin to know not only the power of the gospel, to save, but the power of the gospel to sanctify. As we close, Johann Sebastian Bach said this. He said, all of your music has the purpose. He says, all of music has the purpose or should have, uh, should have no other purpose or no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. I, dear friend, I think, I believe that this could be said about our own lives That our lives should have no other aim, no other end than the glory of God and knowing the peace of our Savior. Let us gather to glorify this God. 
Let us prioritize the glory of God and let us find the gift of God's peace through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray.